1 John in chapter 4, and we've been going through, if, I, if I've done my calculating right, we will be done uh, by the end of, of November with 1 John, but uh, I'm not very good at calculating, so who knows, who knows where we'll be, but we definitely will take a break. If you saw in your bulletin there, um, regardless if we're done, we're going to, in December, look at uh, a new a Christmassy-themed uh, passage. I was, I was at, where were we yesterday? They were playing, we were at Cracker Barrel yesterday. They were playing Christmas music already, and uh, Christmas lights up, and, and, and I was like, well, we're not even at Thanksgiving yet. We just got, just got, I'm still got, I still have trick-or-treating candy I got to get through. I can't, I can't call it Halloween or, uh, or Christmas candy yet, so uh, people are just in a rush to get to that next thing. So December, we'll begin a, a Christmas thing. We should be done with First John by then, but if not, uh, we'll just pick it back up in January. First John in chapter 4 is where we're looking at today, and beginning in verse number 7. Last week we, we started this uh, chapter with the idea of trying the spirits, uh, not believing everything you hear, not believing everything you read. Uh, you, if you get on social media at all, you, you have to have, that's like, that should be part of the terms of acceptance. I promise that I will not believe and or share something just because it was put on Facebook or just because it was printed uh, in a newspaper or just because I read it in a book, I promise that I won't automatically accept that it's true. The only thing that we can use, uh, we can automatically believe uh, as, as soon as we read it, and that's the Word of God, because it came from God Himself. But everything else is from a person, it's from, uh, and, and, it, and it could be, it could be truth, it could, it could be lies. And so John has been spending time talking about this, uh, basically defending, if you will, defending Jesus within Christianity because there were people who were trying to remove him from it. And though Jesus needs no defending, uh, it certainly kind of has that that feel to it as we go through it, just trying to keep the people uh, in the right frame of mind that you can't graduate from Jesus. You can't move on to something more intellectual than that. He is much deeper than uh, any of us have ever gone he is his the knowledge he possesses and the knowledge of him is much deeper and much wider vaster than anything that uh, than any human has ever been uh, discovering but then he goes on and and for a while actually it it, it I, I struggled to make the connection because uh, as I try to find natural breakpoints as we go through this I, I I felt like he began a new topic with this, uh, this idea of love. He's going to con- carry this theme of love uh, really heavily through the end of the chapter and then a little bit into the next chapters. He closes out the, the, the first epistle to uh, these, these Christians. But in the beginning of the chapter, as I said, we were warned to listen to the right message. Uh, we'll know the right message because it speaks of Jesus confessing and affirming that He is the Son of God. Because we Christians are of God, John tells us that we then will be able to hear that message. But now it continues with the connector. I like to find a little verse that connects the, the previous and the, and the, and the uh, present passages together. And, we, and he, got, he continues with this, uh, this idea from verse 6 into verse 7. We are of God. We, we are children of God. We are Christians. Don't worry about not being able to hear the right message. We are going to hear the message because we're Christians. And so he carries that theme and says, now, because we are true believers, let's love each other. We're in the same family. We have the same father. We have the same savior. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And so let's love each other. He says in verse number seven, beloved, let us love one another. The title here of the 
of the message today comes from that one phrase, beloved. A person who is beloved is one who is loved. And so being loved, he says, let us love one another. Because we are loved, we should be able to love. It's already being stressed in previous chapters why we should love one another. We saw in chapter 2 and 3 that loving uh, the brethren reveals that we are of God, that we're in the same family. We saw in chapter 3 as well that, uh, why we should love because we're commanded to. It's the commandment that Jesus gave us, both a new and an old commandment. In chapter 3 as well, we saw how to express that love sacrificially, materially, and visibly, loving not only in word but in deed. But now the passage explains why we can or how we are able to love each other. As we look around, some people are kind of difficult to love, aren't they? You look in your own biological family and you're like, if we weren't related, that, I mean, that's like the only thing you have going for you, bro. Uh, that, that, that's, uh, but as we look around the Christian family, uh, there, we, we look a lot different than, uh, than the rest of the family. Uh, and and what, whom, the person we might consider the weird uncle in the Christian family, uh, there's certainly people looking at us feeling the same way about us. So And so, how can I love people? Not a practical how-to guide, but what gives me the capability to love my brothers? Because John tells us several times that that proves that I'm part of the family. And it's a command. So how am I going to have the capacity to love, let's be honest, some very unlovable people at times? Simply put, John says, and this is the, the message in a nutshell, you can love because you are loved or in uh, more specifically to this because you are loved you should love once we understand this once i understand the fact that i am loved i then can go on and love other people so we go into our our text as we explore the text this morning the first thing that we see is love embodied we see it in verse 7 beloved let us love one another For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Then the converse here, he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Love comes from God. God personifies love. He is love. doesn't say that God uh, loves, although that's not an incorrect statement. It says that God is love. And it's very important also that we understand that the flip is not always the case. Love is not always of God. But rather, let, let, me, let me continue with my notes here. Love is not a quality that God has, but rather an essential part of His being. It's who He is, and that, that is love. So in other words, love is not just what God does, it is who God is. Therefore, by being born of God, we know the love that He is and that He has for us. So because I'm in his family, it is evident then that I have experienced the love that God has for me. The first, the love that God is and the love that God has for me, as we'll see later on, too, that my love is, is a result from being from and knowing God. It's not something that I worked up within me and produced and, and, and gave to God. It is something that resulted in being from him. Loving is not the way to know God, though, or become of Him. As I said, you can't flip it around. God is love. Not all love is God. Okay, So that doesn't mean that uh, 
because I said that loving the brothers is is an evidence of being in the Christian family. That doesn't mean that uh, that just because a mother loves her son, that she's automatically a Christian because she has love to give to her son. Uh, uh, there, that doesn't mean that because a son or a, a daughter loves her father, that automatically that makes her a Christian because she has love and God is love. And so therefore, love is of God. Right. That's not that you can't flip it on its head and, and, and make the same statement. Though God is love, we're all created in the image and likeness of God. And so therefore, I believe that that we have some qualities that God has. And though imperfect, as we'll see later on, you can have an imperfect love. You can have an immature kind of a love that I do believe that we all are naturally uh, are capable of possessing. But but the Bible tells us here that God embodies this. And if I am not of God, that means that I do not know God's love because God is love. If if I'm not of God, I don't know God's love. And so that means that I can't show that love. And that means then also that I don't show that same kind of love. Doesn't mean I'm incapable of loving. Uh, I think I think that's 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 a different topic for a different time. But it does mean that I'm incapable of showing God's love, the the purest form of love. And so if I'm not of God, if to get the if to get the the, the, the the train of thought here, God is love. And so if I'm not of God, I don't have that type of love, that pure, holy, uh, uh, perfect love. And therefore, I can't give that love to anybody else. And therefore, that's why I don't if I don't love the brothers, it's because I'm. Not who I am, because I've not been born of that love. Because we see love embodied, then God explains to us how God expresses that love. We see in verse number nine, love expressed. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation basically means he took my place. Jesus was the sacrifice in my place. And so God said, this is love. What is the love of God? We sing about it. We talk about it. But what really is the love of God? The love of God, very plainly, is Jesus. We see Jesus. We've seen the love of God because Jesus, God, uh, the son, left heaven, came to earth, took on the human form and lived a perfect life lived among people, I can't, someone, we were just having a conversation about this and talking about, or it might have been a communion, uh, how, how, uh, how Jesus uh, knew all of these things were going to come, and yet he lived through this, uh, and he suffered, and he gave his body uh, for us. Jesus is the embodiment of God's love. Uh, God, is love uh, God is love personified in Jesus Christ. And so God expressed that love through Jesus. Real love is not defined by man's ideas about it or his expressions of it. Real love is not what I think it is. I think love is this. I think love is, you know, is, uh, you ever heard, you ever heard, Google, you know, love is statements and and you find some really wacky ones. Love is never having to say you're sorry. My mom loved me all the time. She always made me say, oh, sorry. You know, I love my wife and I find myself saying sorry a whole lot. Uh, And I think it's because I love her. If I didn't care, I wouldn't say I'm sorry. Uh, but there's weird statements about what man thinks love is. And sometimes we, we, we even casually throw that around. I love ice cream. I love, you know, football. I love my wife. But I hopefully love them in different amounts. You know, it's not equally ice cream and my wife or my children or football or pizza or whatever it is. Uh, or, you know, we, we hear 
Uh, you know, on the first date or the second date, people throwing out that word like it's a magic potion that's going to mean I love you. No, you don't. You don't even know my middle name. How, how do you love me? You don't even know my last name. You've got my first name. That's why you, you always take your date to Starbucks because they'll have to write her name down on the cup. And so then you can remember. It's just a, it's a fail safe that way. And, and, and it's good. It's, it's, it's just a good tip. I'm here. I'm here to help. The, the, uh, the love, though, that, that God says, this is love. Let me tell you what real love is. And it's not anything to do with man. It has nothing to do with what you think love is. It has nothing to do with how you think it's expressed. Real love is based on God's love. That's what he says there in verse 9 and 10. This is the manifest, this, this, and this is manifested. This is how God's love is revealed to us. And then he says in verse 10, this is love. Herein is love. Not that we love the feelings or the emotions, let's call it, that I have towards my Savior is not the, the standard, if you will, of love. Rather, it's from Him to me, that's love. And He says, herein is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. God's love is expressed in sending Jesus to the world that we might live through Him. God's love is expressed in that He sent His Son to take my place. God's love is not a reaction to being loved. God didn't say, oh, you love me? I guess I love you too. Oh, you're in a bind? Since we love each other, I may have to go and do something about this. He loved me before I existed. He loved me before I was aware of Him. He loved me, think about it, without the promise of reciprocation. God so loved who? The world. Not everybody loves God back. And yet God still loves everyone. That's unprovoked love. That's love. Not as a response to being loved. Pure and perfect love is a love that says, I don't require anything from you. I just want to love you. The greatest, in my opinion, the greatest form of human unprovoked love, at least maybe one of the greatest, let's not start an argument here, but a mother and a child. What has that child done to provoke a mother's love? Nothing. In fact, he caused her a great deal of pain for nine plus months, 18 years, and from anywhere from nine months to 18 years. He's caused immense pain and, and uh, discomfort. And yet that mother loves that child unconditionally, that mother, that, that child can't do anything for his mother. In fact, he requires his mother to do everything for him. Again, anywhere from nine months to 18 years. He requires mom to do everything, do his laundry, do his ironing, his cooking, all of those things. And yet, mom still loves him. Mom doesn't require some sort of payment. Mom doesn't require reciprocation. Yet, every single person, 99.9%, love their mother. Why? Same reason that we love God. Because he loved us. It's not perfect love. It's provoked. Our love is a provoked love. But yet, God's perfect love is an unprovoked love that says, I don't care if I get anything back. I am love, and so I, I just can't help it. I love you. It's not because of who you are. It's because of who I am. I am love, and so I'm going to show you my love through sending my son. Love made the first move, if you will. And so then we get down to verse number 10. I'm sorry, verse number 11. And he says, if God so loved us, that word, that phraseology there, so loved, reminds me of John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world. 
How much did God love? He showed us how much. He so loved. He loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son. And that's what John is referring to here when he wrote this verse. He says, if God so loved us, how much? Back up a verse and he says how much He loved us. The so. How great is the word so there? He sent His Son to be the propitiation for my sins. In other words, He sent His Son to take my place. And if God loved me that much, we also should love one another. It really doesn't weigh comparatively, does it? If God loved me enough to die for me, and all He wants me to do is love my brother? Okay, I mean, are you sure you don't want me to ask me a few extra hundred things to kind of even the scale out? And yet all He does is He says, I love you unconditionally, unprovoked. And if I can love you that way, and if I dwell in you and I am love, and we're getting to this, you should have no problem loving your brother. How is it possible that I can love Christians whom I don't even know? Whom I don't really like sometimes? Because you have love within you. That's love expressed. Notice what happens as the love is expressed in my life. We see that love enhances. Verse number 12. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. This is love enhanced. This is love now within me. Because God, who is love, expressed His love in Jesus to me. I became born of God. When I became a Christian, I became born of Him. And now He, who is love, dwells in me. Therefore, I have love. And it begins to grow in me. Notice in verse 12 again, if you will. We've never visibly seen God. He says, no man has seen God at any time. Now, why would you throw that in there? There's a few statements as I was just reading through this chapter, trying to figure out, you know, just getting a a sense of it. Usually on on Mondays, uh, you know, I've already kind of figured out we're going to be here for this week. But on Monday and Tuesday, I just kind of read through it. And as I'm reading through this 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 week, I'm I'm seeing these statements. I'm going, what in the world does that have to do with anything right now? It's almost like John has this... um, uh, this this uh, ADHD where you get distracted very easily and he's writing about the love of God and nobody's seen God at any time. And yes, we should love everybody. And he, and he gets these a few things like that and I'm going, what in the world? But the more I studied them, I thought, you know what? There's, they're here for a reason. And they really became the pivotal points to help me understand what was going on here. And we'll see that uh, for this phrase in just a moment. Nobody's seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. And His love is perfected in us. So though I can't see God, and nobody has ever seen God, I will know that He's in me, not because I recognize His face, because I've never seen His face, but because I recognize the love that I now have. God dwells in me, and His love is perfected in me. That mean, that word perfected means it, it becomes to mature. It completes itself. It's growing up, much like a child is maturing and growing up. 
You build on the things that you learned as a child and hopefully never return to them, but rather build on top of those things and become something much bigger and much wiser and much better, if you will, than the original child version. We've never visibly seen God, but by loving one another, we know that He dwells in us and that we dwell in Him. And we have that Spirit there. It tells us His Spirit dwells in us. Verse 13, Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. We have seen, though, it says that we... I, I, I circled these words there because I thought it was great. The, the word seen there appears three times in this passage. Verse 12, verse 14, and then down in verse number 20. And this, and this, this grabbed my attention. It was very interesting as I noticed what was going on here. We have never seen God. But then in verse 14, we have seen. What have we seen? We've never seen the face of God. What have we seen? We have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. In other words, we have never seen God, the Father, but John contextually is saying we have seen God in Jesus. John had actually visibly seen God, and it is very likely some of those people to whom he was writing had been around Jerusalem at the time that John was writing these things. Now, we have never seen Jesus visibly, but notice what he's saying. Let's get, let's get what he's trying to say. We have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We've seen it. We've never seen God visibly, but we have seen God in Jesus Christ. We have the love within us because that came from the Father, and, we've, and the Spirit within us uh, reminds us of, the, of being of the Father. But we've seen also Jesus the, uh, Jesus the Son, whom the Father has sent to be the Savior of the world, verse 14. Notice then what he says then about that. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Even though we've never seen the Father, we are aware of him two ways. By the love that's within us and through the Son whom he sent to take our place. And he says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, those are the people in whom God dwells. So he goes on. He's building a case here. And he says we, in verse 14, we've seen and testify. Now he says in verse 16, we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. That's the love. They're interchangeable. Jesus and the love of God. What is the love of God? Jesus. What is Jesus? He's the love of God uh, embodied, personified. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. So, dwelling in God, we've known this love. We've believed this love. Dwelling in God means that I'm dwelling in love. Dwelling in God means that God is dwelling in me. Therefore, dwell, God dwelling in me means that love is dwelling in me. And he says there that as I dwell in Him, verse 17, my love again is made perfect. It's not my love. It's actually the Father's love that now is within me and it's beginning to do something. It's changing me. It's making me a loving person. It's perfecting. It's grown up. And I stop acting, if you will, childish as a Christian, and I begin to act more as an adult. Eventually, the goal, if you will, Jesus Christ, the exact way that He, that he lived and, and, and walked on this earth. Never going to happen for me on this earth, but one day in heaven it will. But right now, it is already getting me closer because I dwell in Him and He dwells in me. Herein is our love made perfect. Notice then he says, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. And then he goes on and he talks about this, this idea of no fear with love 
But what is he saying there is as God dwells in us, his love perfects in us. And mature love brings with it boldness or confidence before God. Especially, he says there, in the day of judgment. That one day when I stand before God, because I have a growing, mature love, I can stand one day before God confidently. The opposite then would be ashamed or afraid. He's going into this idea of fear. Because why? Why can I stand before God confidently? Because as He is, so am I in this world. As He is. Who is as He is. What does that mean? He is love. And as He is love, that's how I am in this world. Right now, I am growing in love, in the love of God. And, and because of that, I know that as I grow in that, I'm going to stand before Him one day and, 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 and I have confidence. He goes on and he, and, he, and he gives us the opposite feeling here. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear hath torment. That word torment implies punishment. And he's saying there that there, there is no fear with love. Because law, because fear brings with it this idea, this, this, this fear of being punished, of torture, of torment. And so when I stand before God, I don't have any fear. I already know He loves me. He gave Himself for me. I'm one of His. He's my Father. He's, I'm His Son. And I have no fear of standing before Him. Uh, I don't have any fear of punishment or torment. And John says that's because of the love that is perfecting within me now. As I dwell in God, my love grows as fear diminishes and my confidence increases. Mature love has no fear. Mature love has boldness and confidence before God. Mature love behaves in us as it did in Christ and as it does even now in the Father. That is my love enhanced. But then notice what happens as this all begins to take place in my life. Love is embodied. Because then, and then love is expressed. And as I realize that and as I understand that, then the love within me begins to enhance, begins to grow and mature. And we see the last little part there love ensues, or love follows. Because I am loved, I can then love. He says that in verse number 19 we love him because he first loved us. Why do you love God? The answer is very plainly because God loves me. Because I am loved. That's why I love God. By being loved, we also loved. Again, he says that that idea of verse number seven, beloved, let's love. Those who are loved, let's love. Because you can't love God on your own. You can't generate love yourself. Any love that I have for God is a reaction or a response to first being loved by him, then becoming aware of that love. And then believing in that love, looking in, we're pulling all of these, these phrases together that we've seen in verse number 7 and verse number 16 as well. God loved me before I was even aware of God. And then one day I became aware that Jesus loves me, this I know, and, and, and it's all by faith. And, and then all of these, these, these lessons and these stories, one day they kind of clicked and it made sense for me. And I'm like, oh, God loves me. He doesn't just love the world, He loves me. And then it goes on, and I've known that love, and then I believe that love. And I, when I understand that, I grasp that, and I believe that's that faith aspect there of salvation. And when, I, when that happens, then love follows. Because when I believe in that love, and that love becomes inside of me and becomes a part of me as I become a part of His family, 
then it's just natural it's going to follow that I'm going to begin to love. I like this phrase, this, this, this last little verse in the, in the thing there. If any man love, say I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. John's, I imagine this old man up, you know, sitting wherever at his desk and he doesn't really care what he says. He didn't care if he makes any friends or not. He's, he's already at the end of his life and he's just spitting out truth whether you like it or not. And he says, hey, if any man says he loves God and hates his brother, liar. Imagine he probably wrote it in big and underlined it three times and highlighted it. And as like, oh, I can't wait till they get to that part right there. I imagine there must have been a problem like this in Ephesus as, they, as he addresses the problem. Notice what he says. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? If you say you love God, but you hate your brother, or you don't love him, John says you're a liar. Because the lack of love proves that you've never seen God. Remember I told you those three times that the word seen pops up in this passage here. Verse 12, 14, and 20. You've never seen God in the sense that verse 12 says that you've never fully looked upon Him. But also, in verse 14, you've never seen God in the way that Christians have seen Him. It's never dawned on you. You've never seen God in the person of Jesus Christ. It's never made sense, if you will. As Christians, we see God through Jesus, through the love, uh, through His love shown for us in Christ. We see God through the love that we have for each other. And John says there that you've never, if you don't love, you can't say that you love a God you've never seen. Therefore, you can't not love your brother if you truly know and have believed God's love for you. For if I have God's love within me, then I will love the same people whom God loves. Who does God love? God's love caused him to love all people. Consequently, having that same love in me will bring about the same result in my life. And I will love the same people whom God loves. John finishes up his, his verse here, his, his, his uh, chapter, if you will, with verse 21. This commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. He concludes by taking the two greatest commandments of the law and connecting them just as Jesus did. Remember when Jesus was being ask the questions in Matthew. It's Matthew 22, if you want to read it. And a man came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. On these hang all the law and the prophets. He said, loving God and loving your neighbor. And if you can get those two things down, everything else will take care of itself. And that's exactly what John does here. He takes these two commandments, the two great commandments, if you will, and he says, they're the same. He says that if you love God, you will also love your brother. These two commands are inseparable. I can't have one without the other. I can't properly love others without having God's love in me. Likewise, I cannot love God without loving my brother. Since we as Christians have been loved by God through Jesus, we've become aware of God's love. We believed it. We now dwell in it. Let us also grow and mature in it and express it to those around us. Let's continue to abide in Him and in His love so that we may grow in our understanding of who He is and of His great love toward us. And as that understanding of God's love grows within us, our love for others will mature and be expressed more perfectly. Again, this is a message that is primarily to the people of God, not necessarily salvation type of message. It's a message that has been directed, as John directed it, to 
Christians. How can I love my brother? Well, it happened at the moment you became a Christian. You became able to love the same people whom God loves. I wonder if you would be honest and say, you know what, God, I, I really do want to know more of you because I want to dwell in you and abide in you and I want what you are, love, to grow and mature in me and I want it to take over me. I want love to be the, the overriding uh, principle, if you will, in my life just as it is with you. Yes, there, is, there are many attributes of God and God is many different things, but God is love. And if I am in God and God is in me, then I'm going to have that same love within me and it's going to be growing and it's going to be maturing. And so if I am like a person in verse number 20, and I, and I honestly can't see how a person could, could, could say this, but it, it must be possible because John says, if you feel like you can love God but not love your brother at the same time, it's not going to happen. Look at where you came from. Being loved. You were loved so much. Dwell on that. This week, if you can get a chance, stop and just dwell on that. How much God loves you. Read some scriptures that remind us as we go into the Christmas season in just a couple of weeks and our thoughts are directed toward a baby in a manger. Why is that all? Why did that all happen? Later on, as we get into the spring and we talk about Easter, why did that all happen? You, me, us. Jesus came for me. He loved me so much. And if God loved me that much,